Amen. Tommy, start us off in prayer, will you, buddy? Please. Amen. Very good, Tommy. Thank you. We'll be in Joshua, the book of Joshua, if you want to turn there today. I'll eventually get there, I hope. Joshua 24, just in the the Old Testament there. Right after Genesis, and before you get to Malachi, you'll find the book of Joshua. Joshua 24. Since today is Father's Day, uh, I've got a message for fathers. I get a message for men, and whatever status that you are, I hope this message is for you. I know some of us will be married in here. Some have suffered divorce. Some have remarried. I'm some, we've got a widow or two in here. Uh, some are teenagers. Some of the men are grandpas and great-grandpas and great-great-grandpas and maybe even more than that. So I, I've, I've geared the message for you guys, if you would, and I hope to challenge you today uh, to be the man that God has called you to be. But also, I also don't want the women to, to tune this out, okay? I mean, just, just because it's Father's Day and, and you think I'm speaking to uh, all those guys that uh, you can just uh, chill. Well, I'm, I'm, I want you to pay attention, too, because the principles that we're going to look at today will apply to all of us, okay? So... Um, you don't, y'all don't get a pass today, all right? You got you to stay hooked up with me. We know in today's world the family is under attack, is it not? I mean, we have laws that say that uh, uh, it's very difficult to pray in school. Uh, we have uh, abortion on demand. Uh, we have the uh, homosexual agenda and the transgender thing being shoved down our throats, if you would. Uh, we have drugs today that have been legalized that a few years ago were not legal to be consumed, but now they are. Uh, we seem to honor the criminal of the worlds today and put honor on them and, and not on those who uh, enforce the law. We see a surge of mocking and making fun of all biblical kinds of principles. Uh, just an, an outward, just uh, shameful attack upon uh, godly people and the things of God. You can watch TV today and, and the last probably 10 or 15 years and you watch TV sitcoms and things. And, and how they have uh, begun the process of degrading the man in the house, and they portray him as a, a buffoon, they betray him as somebody weak, somebody that, that can't do anything unless, unless the wife is there holding his hand to make sure that he, he gets it done, and it's just this dumbing down, if you would, of, of men in society, uh, completely opposite of what God's Word says it should be. You know, we shouldn't be surprised at that because God's Word tells us that in the end times, men will say good is evil and evil is, is good. We shouldn't be surprised at that. You see, 
Satan is, is, is on the attack, man, and he's on the attack for you. Because you see, in, in, in Ephesians 2, 3, it says that the husband or the father is the head of the house. That's what God's Word says. And because God's Word has said that, Satan aims his target at the men of the house. He knows if he can get to the men of the house, he knows if he can make them compromise their faith. He knows if he can get them to give in to some sort of sin that he shouldn't be. He knows if he can get men to to pursue the things of this old world, the the lust of the eyes and, and the pride of life, if you would. He knows if he can he can get you to that point, men, then he knows that he could he's begun the process of wrecking your family. Men, you are under attack, if you would. I hope I'll put it this way. I hope you are under attack. You see, Satan has two strategies for you guys, and for me too. If he can separate and sever your relationship with your wife, then he has been successful. If he can separate and sever your relationship with your kids, he's been successful. And you see, as as men, as we walk this Christian life, The more that we want to walk the life, the more that we are drawing closer to God, the more that we decide, men, that we will follow Jesus no matter what. Guess what's going to happen? The enemy is going to attack you. The enemy is going to try to knock you, knock your socks off of you. He's going to knock your legs from out underneath you because he wants nothing more to ruin your reputation, ruin your life, ruin your marriage, and ruin your family. Men, we must be on guard to that. You see, if we're serious about the Lord, he's going to be serious about you. The enemy is. But we also know on the other side of that coin is if we are just passive Christians, if we are inactive Christians, if if our Christian faith really doesn't mean too much to us, guess what? (laughs) He don't need to attack you. He's not going to attack you. He's going to just kind of leave you alone. Because you see, you're no threat to him. So that's why I say, I hope as Christian men, you are many times experiencing an attack by the enemy. Because when the enemy attacks you and tries to bring you down, it's a good sign. Because it tells you and it tells me and it tells the Lord that you're on the Lord's side. And that you are walking with the Lord. And you want to to live your life to be more like Christ than ever before. And when you do that, he's coming after you. So I'm glad when you're tested by the enemy because it tells me that you're living the Christian life. What, is a, what does a real man look like in today's society? Well, I think a real man looks like in our society is he is, number one, a committed Christian. A committed Christian. There's nothing wishy-washy about a committed Christian. There's no milk toast, if you would, of a committed Christian. If you want to be a real man in this world today, you've got to be a committed, born-again believer in Jesus Christ. The second thing I think that we need to be able to be in this kind of world today is we got to love the Lord. we got to love the Lord with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind. Where does that come from? That comes from God's Word. That's what he tells us. Matter of fact, Jesus said that is the first commandment. Matter of fact, he said that's the greatest commandment. Men, we've got to get to the point in our lives where we love the Lord with everything we got, with our heart and our head and our soul. 
And then as we do that, the Bible tells us we are to love our family and love our wives as if, as just like Christ loves the church. You want to be a real man in today's world? That's what you have to be. You got to be committed to the Lord, love the Lord, love your family like no other business. Because you see, men, we are sending a legacy down to our kids. We are sending a legacy down to our grandkids. And I pray that legacy is a godly legacy. We'll talk more about that later. I was reading a story about a guy by the name of Hernando Cortez. Explorer Cortez, if you would, okay? He had heard of the riches in the New World. He was living over there in Spain. And word had got back that there is a ton of stuff in Mexico. And that there was just gold for the taking and there was silver for the taking and just treasures everywhere. And he wanted a part of that. So early night, 1500s, he goes to the Spanish king and he says, hey, man, I heard this. I hear this about this new world out there. And, man, it's just flowing with, with gold and silver and all these kind of treasures. And, and I want some of that, king. And, king, I, I, if, I get, if, if I can go, king, then I'm going to bring some of that back to you. And you and me, we're going we gonna to be rich. Of course, the Spanish king said, you know, I like that idea. That's a pretty good deal, man. I, yeah, y'all bring all you want to back. So, so the Spanish king gives him 11 ships and 700 men. And they set sail for Mexico. As they sail to Mexico, it takes them a couple of months to get there. And they, they finally land on the Mexican shore there. And, and Cortez tells, tells these 700 men, he said, I want you to go unload those ships. Get rid of everything on that ship. Clean up that ship. And, of course, they do. You know, it's going to be a long haul. and going to stay a while. So get the supplies. And they did. And then he makes a kind of a funny command. A command that makes really no sense. Because he says, all right, now I want you to burn the ships. Excuse me? Now I want you to burn the ships. Why would he tell them to burn the ships? You see, he was eliminating all the options that these folks had, these 700 men. He said, we're going to get rid of the ships. Why would he do that? You see, he knew. He knew if, the, if, if when they landed, if the enemy was so big and so bad, that most of those guys would do what? They want to get on that ship and sail back home. Not an option anymore. He knew if the mission was so difficult and so strenuous that when they started trying to make a living there and it got so hard that he knew that many of these folks would, would want to give up and go back home. Can't do that. Can't be successful that way. He knew some of them would be homesick and just want to go home. And he said, no, you're not going to do that. We're going to burn those ships. You see, what was he trying to get them to do? He was trying to get those folks to commit. He was trying to get them to the point in their lives that no matter where they were at, they could not quit, they could not give up, they could not go run and hide and get somewhere else, that they were going to have to deal with this, they were going to have to be committed. You see, the burning of the ships is all about commitment. It's all about doing what you say you will do, no matter what the circumstances come about. That's what he's telling them. He said, you don't have any more options. You're here, we're going to survive, and, and you're not going home. You have to be committed. I thought of, uh, I think it was Apollo 11. 
when they were trying to get these boys home, you know, from, from circling around the moon. And, and the guy says, failure is not an option. That's what Cortez is telling them. Failure is not an option. You're, gonna, you're here. We're going to be here. We're going to be successful. And there's no quit, no giving back, no, no running away. You're going to be committed to what you do. And I tell you, men, I tell you that story to tell you this. We need to be able to be men that burn our ships. We need to be men who are committed. We need to be men who are all in. We need to be committed that when, no matter what happens in our life, that we never compromise our faith. We never run from our faith. We never turn and quit on our faith. That's what real men will do is to stay strong in the Lord. You know, sometimes, man, we, we get to the point in our lives that we, we choose just to, and it's easy to do, straddle, if you would, life. And we put one foot in the, in the Christian life, and we, we come to church, and, and we read the Word every so often, and we, we put one foot there in our lives, and then we put the other foot in the world, of course, and, and, and that's kind of a fun kind of a deal, you know, and, and I, I know I need to be more here, but, but I think this worldly kind of stuff is, is really important, and we have to live in the world. But do we have to be really living in the world or of the world? You see, sometimes, man, what we do is we do things backwards. Did you know that? I mean, we're just notorious for this. You see, God's Word says in Matthew six thirty three, it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I mean, that's what it says, seek Him first. But what do we do sometimes, man? Man, we, we, we straddle that line and we pursue the, the, the pleasures of this world. We pursue the, the treasures of this world. We try to get as much as we can from this world. And, and then we ask God, please bless what I'm doing, God. Bless this, bless this. Man, God, just bless this. I'm, I'm getting all this stuff. And, and, and we do it all on this side of the world. And then we kind of step across here and put the other foot in the Christian world and say, God, bless this. And instead, what does the Bible say to do? It says, seek him first. Seek him first. Make him your priority. Make him your number one. Make him your, your, your number one passion in your life. And then what does the rest of that verse say? We seek him and we, and we seek him and seek his face and seek his guidance. And then he says, and then all this other stuff will be added to you. Man, we got to get, we gotta get the, the horse before the carriage, do we not? we got to start seeking him and seeking His face and seeking His presence in our lives. And then we start doing what we need to do back over here. I was reading in Joshua, and we'll get to the verses now, I guess. <laughs> Joshua 24. Joshua 24 is, is uh, I don't know if you know anything about Joshua, but Joshua was the man that followed after Moses, Okay. Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land. Joshua was, got, was chosen by God to lead them into the promised land. I mean, how do you follow a great leader by, like Moses? Well, that was Joshua's job. And he did a great job of it, and he tried to teach the people and lead the people and all that kind of good stuff. But we see in, in chapter 23 and chapter 24 that, that Joshua is on the backside of life. Joshua knows that he doesn't have much time left in his life. He knows that, that death is probably coming. And, and being this great leader that he is, he wants to 
address the people one more time. He wants to give them some sound advice. He wants to pass on a little wisdom, if you would, that he learned as being the leader of this this huge number of folks. And as he's preparing his farewell dress and he wants to give that address to them and and say, man, this is, this is, when I'm gone, this is what I would like for you to do. And it's great advice for them, and it's also great advice for you and I today. Because it talks about being that committed Christian that we have been called to be. So let's look at verses 14 and 15. And these are, these are once we get reading here, I think you'll, you'll uh, know that you've heard these verses before. Verse 14 says, Now therefore, fear the Lord, and serve Him with sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. Verse 15. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's three things I want to pull from that scripture today. Three things that I want to address the men in this room and address the women in this room. Because these are three principles that will never grow old because they came straight from God's word. We see the first thing there that he's telling these folks. He says the first thing is fear the Lord. He says fear the Lord. Some of those verses that we just read about. Matthew 10, 28 says this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, do not fear those that kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body. In hell. What is this fear of the Lord? If you are an unbeliever, if you've never accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, you really need to fear the Lord. I mean, you really need to be scared of the Lord. Because the Bible says that, that when you die and you die in your sins, you'll be separated from holy God forever and forever. That should not make anybody happy. That should not make anybody excited. That ought to put fear into your heart, basically. Because you will be tormented forever and forever. For, so for the unbeliever, for the Bible says that the wrath of God abides upon you even now as you are living. John 3, 36. Even now, he says, you need to fear the Lord. You need to be scared of the Lord because of what's going to happen to you when you pass from this old earth. But for the Christian, the fear of the Lord is completely different. We're not to be afraid of the Lord. You see, the, the fear of the Lord for the Christian, for the, for the Christian man... It is a reverence and an awe of the Lord. It is understanding that, that uh, God is holy, that God is just, and God is righteous. You know, you need to understand that. That He is holy and just and righteous, and we fear Him, and we have reverence for Him, and we have awe for Him. Not like we would have for a man but for God, the creator of the universe, who spoke the world into existence. That's what it, the fear of the Lord means. The fear of the Lord also means that we understand how much God hates sin. 
And because God hates sin and because it cost him his only son, that as a believer, we hate sin also. And we hate sin so much that we choose not to sin. We do not want to disappoint our Lord by living a sinful life because we understand we have the fear of the Lord. We understand how much God hates sin. I mean, he absolutely hates sin. And because he hates sin, as Christians, we are to hate sin. And we do not want to displease the Lord by living a sinful lifestyle. We also understand what the fear of the Lord is. It says that, that when we choose to make bad decisions, when we choose to go down a road that is not, not uh, God-honoring, that there are times, Hebrews 6, that God will say, I need to bring you back to the fold. I need to bring you back. I need to chastise you my Christian son or my Christian daughter. I need to discipline you because you're going down a road that you don't need to belong on. And he says, I want to bring you back. I bring you back not to judge you. I bring you back because I want to love you. And I know what's best for you. And when you make decisions that are contrary to God's word and you start running down that road, God will chastise you and bring you back. And that is a really a good thing. Did you know that? That is a great thing that when you start messing up, if you would, and God has to, has to kind of smack you on the head and say, turn around, go back the other way. You know why that's a good thing? Because the Bible says that I only do that for my children. I only chastise, I only discipline my kiddos, my believers, the ones that have put their heart and life into me are the ones that I will discipline. Why? Because I love them so much. And I know the plan I have for them, and I want them to follow that plan because it is the best plan that they could have. You know, I got to, <laughs> I got to thinking about that, about, you know, going down the wrong road and, and God having to thump you on the head and get you back going the other way. I got to think about that. And I, I remember when I was a senior in high school, and I'm not going to tell you how long ago that was, Okay. But it's almost, and which is really disgusting, it's almost a half a century when I was in school. <sighs> anyway, my senior year was going really good. We were undefeated on the basketball team. Uh, we were headed to win the state championship. People were patting you on the head and telling you how great you are and how awesome you are. Man, we've got, got this great team. And, and you start walking around, you've got a kind of a little big head going on there and thinking you're a little more important than, than what you should be. And uh, that was probably me. But at home, I, it wasn't like that at home. You see, you see I, I, I thought I was somebody. And I was dis, disrespecting my mom, not treating my mom right, not speaking to her in a right tone, not having a good attitude towards her. Uh, my brother, I was being hateful to my brother, I mean, even though he probably deserved it. But anyway, not treating him like I was supposed to treat him. And, and you see, I thought everything was hunky-dory. Because, you know, we're undefeated. But my dad, I, my dad wrote me a letter. And I, I came home from practice one day, and this letter was sitting on my bed. And I opened up the letter, and it was from Dad. And he says, Son, I love you. And I am so proud of you. But... You're messing up. You're not treating your mom right. You're not treating your brother right. And he said, he said, Don, he said, if 
You can change it. You can change your attitude. You can change your heart. You can start getting along with everybody. Or I help you do that. You do it or I'm going to help you do it. One of the two. And I read that letter and that's been 50 years and I still remember the letter. He wrote that letter because he loved me. He wrote the letter because I was going down the wrong road. And he wrote that letter because he wanted me to change the where I was going and my attitude and my heart. And I tell you that to tell you this. God also wrote you and I a letter, did he not? He wrote us a love letter. And in this love letter, he tells us that I love you so much. And I am so proud of you guys down there on earth. But he said, sometimes y'all mess up. Sometimes you make bad decisions. Sometimes you take a path that you shouldn't take. And, and, and he said, I want you to read this love letter. And he said, I'm going to tell you how to fix that. I'm going to tell you how to fix your life. I'm going to tell you how to, how to get out of that sinful life and get in that, that real life that I've talked about. And he says, if you want to do that, I will help you do that. I'll help you change your attitude. And it comes from this book right here. And if you don't, what, is, what does God say? I'll, I'll try to help you along the way. I'll bring a little discipline, a little chastisement. I will try to point you in the right direction. Aren't you glad that God wrote this love letter to us? Because it is our instruction book on how to live. And when we start walking away from this, Christian, He's going to come back and he's going to bring us back, not to discipline us, but because he loves us. That's fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord also means that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God, Romans 8, 38 and 39. Fear of the Lord says that the Lord will never fail you nor forsake you. That's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord says that we have such a reverence for holy God a reverence for holy God the God who created the universe who who spun the planets to spin around the sun and stay in that orbit forever and forever the holy God that we serve and as we serve him in reverence and we serve him in oneness if that's a word that has to change the way we live. You get that, men? If we're going to worship the holy God of the universe, the one and only, and we truly come to worship Him in reverence and in awe, that will change your behavior. That will change the way you act and change the way you speak because now you have been impacted by the God of the universe and He changes your heart. And we live differently, and other people now will see the way we live. And we live differently, men. The world needs to see that, that we are different. You see, the fear of the Lord says, I respect you, God, with every ounce of my being. I respect you. The fear of the Lord says, I will obey you, holy God, just God, with all I got. The fear of the Lord says, I will submit my life to you, holy and just and righteous God. And I will worship you in reverence and in awe.
See, that's what the fear of the Lord is. It's not being scared of Him. It is worshiping who He is and understanding who He is and how much He loves us. That's the fear of the Lord. Man, we've got to have the fear of the Lord so that other people can see that we have it because it impacts the way we live and it can impact your family the way they live. The second thing we see in those verses in verse 14 It says, uh, to serve him sincerely and in truth. Well, how do we serve the Lord? Well, first of all, you've got to be born again. And you've got to accept him as Lord and Savior. You can't serve him unless you are all in, if you would. So we we accept him as Lord and Savior. Serving the Lord says we love the Lord. Serving the Lord says we submit our life to the Lord. Serving the Lord says we will be obedient to to the Lord. When the Lord says love, we love. When the Lord says forgive, we forgive. When the Lord says go and tell, we go and tell. Serving the Lord also means that we take the spiritual gift that God has given to each one of us and we use it for His glory. If you have been born again, if you are a born again Christian, He has given you at least one spiritual gift. I promise you, because that's what God's Word says. You got it. And the reason that you are in this congregation, that you belong to this church, is for you to use your spiritual gift to help make this church run as efficiently as possible. Did you know that? Every person has a gift. And if you are here and if this is your church, you are here for that purpose, to use that gift to bring glory and honor, not to yourself, but to the Lord. There's all kinds of jobs that we can do around here. And God has put every person responsible for at least a job around here. I promise you, that's what God's Word says. Serving the Lord is a life that runs away from sin, runs away from temptation, and runs to the Lord. How do we serve the Lord? It just tells us right there. How do we serve the Lord and do all those kind of things? I'm sure there's many more that we could look at. But it says we are to do it sincerely and in truth that's how we serve the Lord we're to serve him cheerfully (laughs) gladly not grudgingly we are to give cheerfully not grudgingly we're to do the things that God has called us to do here in this church and outside of this church we do it cheerfully and not grudgingly it's something that we want to do not because we have to do You understand that? Colossians 3, 17 says this. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord, giving God praise through His Son, Jesus Christ. Whatever we do, we do it in the name of the Lord. 1 John 3, 18 says this. Little children, let us not love with with word or tongue, but in deed and in truth. What does that mean? It means we don't speak that we love him we don't speak things that we serve him we do things because we love him we take that spiritual gift and we do something for him see so James 1 22 says as be you doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own self Christian friend Christian man we are to be doers of the word we are to do what we do because we love the Lord and not because we have to and I'm telling you when we do what God has blessed us to do and we do it in his for his glory and his power Matthew 11.30 says this. 
For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, when God has called you to do something, He'll make it easier for you. You know why He'll make it easy for you? Because He gives you the power and the strength to do it. You're not doing it in your own strength. It's not going to happen that way. My yoke is easy, the Lord says. My burden is light. When you think you're overwhelmed in a Christian life, just go back to that verse. Because that is a promise that Jesus says to us. That my burden is not light. My, that the cross you're carrying is not going to be that heavy because I'm going to give you the strength to carry it and to do it. You see, God's Word tells us to fear the Lord. It says to serve the Lord. And the third point I want you to get real quickly. It says, put away the gods of your fathers. Put away the gods of your fathers. Well, what does that mean? Well, you know, uh, if you know anything about the Old Testament, that, that those old guys back in the day, what did they do? Man, if, if they could get a golden calf and worship the golden calf, what were they going to do? That's what they did, wasn't it? Yeah, Moses ain't coming back. We ain't got time for that. We're just going to make our own statue to worship. Well, they went down years later, they would go worship the, the idol of Baal, uh, these false gods right there. Or they would worship their possessions and they would worship their things and worship uh, how they wanted to worship and, and, and all kind of different things that they would put as important in their lives and they would worship those kinds of things. And I got to think about, you know, sometimes men, we do the same thing. Sometimes we put stuff in front of God that we shouldn't put in front. Sometimes we worship things that, that maybe is not as important as God, but we enjoy it, so we're going to... And he says, put away the, the gods of your forefathers. Put away those things that are so important to you that put God somewhere down the lower part of your totem pole of life. And he's telling us, and he's telling them, put those away. Because you see, men, I've, I, and I've said this before, we are passing a legacy down to our kids and our grandkids. We're passing a legacy down to them. Because, you see, they, they hear what we say and they see how we act. And all those little eyes are watching. Did you know that? All those eyes are watching. Dad, granddad, grandpa, great-grandpa, they're all watching to see what is important to you. So it's important that you show them what's important to you. It's important to show them that you read God's Word. That you let them see you reading God's Word. Well, maybe you don't. It's important that they hear you pray. But do you pray so they can hear you? It's important to, for them to know how important is Sunday morning to you? How important is Sunday morning to you? They're watching you. Did you know that? Is Sunday morning a time of sleeping in and loafing? <laughs> is Sunday morning a time of going fishing and playing golf or going to the lake? Is Sunday morning a time that, that I want my kids to be the best baseball and basketball player you can be? And I'm going to say this with all the love I got. But sometimes we put sports ahead of God. And we put sports ahead of God, and we say, okay, Sunday, yeah, we're going to let you play because, you see, that's when the tournaments are. And we've got to get these kids playing in the tournaments. And we're going to start at 9 o'clock in the morning, about Sunday school time. And we're going to play all, all day. And then, and then, son, then, son, once we get this tournament over with, we get this basketball over, we get all that stuff. Hey, then we'll, we'll be back in church. We're going to come back in church once we get all that 
done. And we send the signal and we send the message that that is more important than being in church on Sunday morning. And then little eyes see that and little ears hear that. And you're beginning to pass that legacy down. And they'll understand that someday, that Sunday morning church is not all that important. And we pass that legacy down to our kids, and our kids pass it down to our kids and their kids and their kids, and it keeps going down. And after four generations, none of those kids even know what church is. All because we began to put stuff in front of God. Yeah, we know what, we know what Exodus 23 says. There should be no other gods before me. Yeah, we know that one, but that's an old one. Or we know Exodus 20, verse 8, where it says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Yeah, I understand that, but we got games today. I understand what God said back there, but that's a long time. That's Old Testament stuff. We got games today, and we know that, and we put stuff in front of God. And we put stuff, men, we put stuff that are not important. We put it in front of our relationship with Him, and we send a message all the way down generations after generations. That Sunday was not that big of a deal. Everything else is more important. And I say that with all the love I got. This world needs men who will not compromise their faith. This world needs men who will burn their ships in commitment to the Lord. Because, men, if we don't do it, who's going to? If we don't do that, who is going to do it? Who is going to take the stand and say, hey, I'm committed. And I want my family to be committed. I will not compromise on my faith. We need men that says, I'm not compromising. We need women who said, I'm not compromising. We need men and women who will make this statement. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We need men that will say that. We need women that will say that. Not just say it, but believe it and act on it and live it. I mean, we, we can't be wishy-washy anymore, men. Our society will not let us be that way. We've got to burn the ships and we've got to be committed. We cannot compromise. You see, because you see, and in closing, men, we are responsible. Did you know that? To lead our family down the path of righteousness. Did you know that? That's our job as men. Did you know you're responsible, men, to point your family to Jesus? That's your responsibility. We say, that's a Sunday school teacher, that's a preacher. Well, yeah, that's part of our job. But it is your responsibility to do that. It is your responsibility, men, to make sure that every one of your family members, that whole circle, when they pass, will be in heaven. You've got to make sure that everyone right there has been born again. Men, that's your responsibility. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push that over to my, to my wife. Yeah, she can do that too. Ultimately, you're the head of the house, men, according to God's word. You're responsible for that. Men, we've got to set a godly example for our families. Bottom line. God, bottom line. You see, men, your family needs a godly man to lead them. You see, men, your family needs a man who will burn the ships and be committed, who will not compromise on their faith, who not, will not quit when the, when the tough and the going gets tough, when financial stress is coming 
Man, we got to be men who are committed to the Lord. We can't walk away from that. When sickness and disease comes to your life, man, we can't walk away from that. We have to own it and we have to commit to the Lord and not quit and not try to go somewhere else. We've got to stay right here with the Lord. We have got to do that. Man, that is your responsibility. We need more men that will say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, that's leadership. See, we need to draw a line in the sand, don't we? And said, according to my house, according to my wants, according to my desires, according to God's word, we're going to serve the Lord as best we can. Now, I understand you might not like that. I understand you might not agree with it. And if you get out of this house and go live however you want to, you got to do what you got to do. But as long as you're in my house, my house will serve the Lord. You see, if we don't do that, if we don't stand, man, if we, if we just wishy-washy, ah, oh, just, man, y'all go, go do what you want to. You want to come to church? That's great, man. If you don't, that's whatever you want to do. That's not leadership, man. Leadership said, as far as I'm concerned, my house, we will serve the Lord. What better legacy can you send down the pike for years to come? They said, you know, you know, my dad, he was a godly man, and, and, and he served the Lord. He feared the Lord. And he put away everything that, that wasn't godly. He served the Lord. You know, my granddad, man, he, he, he feared the Lord, and he served the Lord. And, man, he put away everything that wasn't important. You know, my great-granddad, what a legacy. Man, I challenge you today. I told you I was going to challenge you today. I'm going to challenge you today, man, to be a man that says, as for me and my house, as for me and my family, as for me and my circle, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to fear Him, we're going to serve Him, or we're going to put God first. Not second, third, or fourth. You see, God is a jealous God. He wants to be first place in your life. So that's my challenge to you, Tricia. That's my challenge to you today. Are you going to be a man that says, man, I fear the Lord, I'm going to give Him all the reverence I can give. I'm going to serve Him with everything i got. And I'm going to put him first place in my life. As Trisha begins to play, that'll be our invitation time. So let's bow our heads, if you would, please. I don't know how God has spoken to you today, but I don't know about you, but he stepped on my toes pretty hard. Men, we need godly men. We don't need milk toast men. We don't need wishy-washy men. We need godly men who will stand in the gap for your family, will stand in the gap for other people, who will point people to Jesus, who will live the godly life and not be afraid of it. That's what he's called us, men, fathers, on this Father's Day. I challenge you to do business with the Lord right now if he has spoken to you.